don't know about you, but I'm worn out. This is going to be a short message. <laughs> I don't know how you who work with them all weeks are here this morning. I figured you'd be asleep, but uh, they're an active group, and I think uh, we, it would be good if we just uh, paused a moment and give a, a round of applause once more for those who put this together and work with these kids this week to show them Jesus. Let's, let's just express our appreciation. <laughs> Well, it is a, always a joy to be with you, and uh, I understand y'all have a, a new pastor coming soon, and we rejoice in the Lord with you over that, and uh, I, I guess Gary has done the best he can to kind of get you on the right path, and I know he has, and I know you have enjoyed having him as your interim pastor. He loves you and uh, speaks highly of you uh, every time we talk, and uh, we just are so glad that God is bringing y'all just the right person to lead you at this time in the days ahead. I want to invite you to turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, um, there are perhaps some of you out here who are like me and reach this spiritual level that uh, temptations no longer bother me. I mean, they don't face me. And uh, I think others of you are probably thinking, that's a bunch of baloney, and you're right, it is. <laughs> we never, never get away from temptation. It is a lifelong event and process. And, um, you know, I think uh, regardless of our differences, our, you know, how we grew up, our family background, the kind of work we have done, uh, all those kinds of our interests and all that, regardless of the differences that we have, the one thing that we share together in common is that we all face temptations in our lives on a regular basis. In every believer's heart, you know, there's a constant struggle between the old nature and the new nature. The old nature is trying to use every opportunity it can to bring us down, to uh, take us away from the faith, to undermine anything that we would do for Christ. And then the new nature is always on the lookout for those kinds of senses and feelings so that them aside and, and defeat them and live a life that honors the Lord. And when we come to Christ, you know, um, we die to sin. The cross, the blood of the cross, washes away our sin. We are made new in him. And so you wonder, <clears throat> you know, why, if we are Christians and we have died to sin, why are we still having to deal with these temptations and sin every day in our lives. Well, Sinclair Ferguson, a pastor, once said that um, though we die to sin, sin is not dead in us. For some reason, Satan continues to attack us. He continues to try to take us away from the Father. He continues to try to snatch us away out of the Father's hand. He can't do it, but he continues to try and attack us. And he does it through temptations, through the sin that he, share, uh, that he brings into our lives, challenges us with. But the fact is that though we have died to sin, sin has not died in us. And so God in his, his sovereignty and his will, his plan, has allowed us to go through these temptations and these sins so that we might grow and deepen in our relationship with him. We might walk closer to him. We might lean upon him 
more and more. It is a part of the process of our developing as believers in Christ. Every trial and every temptation in life is an opportunity for you and me to see the glory of Jesus Christ and to discover his power in our lives. And so we rejoice today that though we do face sin and temptation, we rejoice that when we face those things, we can face them in such a way that we can bring honor to the Lord because he brings the victory in our lives. Paul writes this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, writes it to the church in, in Corinth, and if you have ever read anything or studied anything about Corinth, you will know of the wickedness of that place. And um, the people were filled with immorality. They were filled with all kinds of things that just are atrocious and uh, harm the, the person of God, anything in his face. And uh, all of their worship times were built around these idols and all the activities that they did were uh, anti-God. That's the kind of uh, society, that's the kind of place that this church was planted. To be quite honest with you, there's not a whole lot of difference in that day and our day, is there? I mean, we can look around us and we can see that there are a lot of things that are similar to those days. And you and I as a church seek to shine the light of Christ on a dark world. And if we belong to the Lord, our heart's desire is to be like him. Jerry Bridges says that the whole Bible is a book on godliness. When we open God's word, we are confronted by God. We get to see him, speak, hear him speak to us. And uh, when we do, he expects that word to take root in our life and for us to be obedient to it. And because we desire to be like him, that's what we want to do. We want to honor him. We want to hear his voice, and we want to live for him and grow closer to him and to be more like him. So if you will uh, read with me or look in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll read verses 1 through 13. And um, if you can do so, if you're able to do some of you are too tired to, but if you can, would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word? Beginning with verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to drink and eat and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. And were destroyed by the destroyer. Or grumble, I'm sorry, some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instructions, 
on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us today and your blessings in our life. We thank you so much for this church and for the way it loves these children, those young people, as they continue to teach them about your grace and goodness and mercy and love. Father, we pray now for you to speak through your word, Lord, to help us to be encouraged, to help us to be prepared to face the things that we do face. And we thank you, Lord, that we do not ever face them alone, that you are with us. We pray now that you will just um, have your way in our hearts. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us. And may we open our eyes and ears so that you might be able to fill us with all that we need to know to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Apostle Paul, when he penned his letter, realized that if the church was to make a dent in the darkness of this world, we must not continuously yield to temptation, but we should triumph over it. And so in these verses, Paul uh, gives a counsel, gives a word of uh, caution, and then a word of comfort. Temptation we all face. But Paul is telling us here in these verses that we should be preparing ourselves and be prepared to face that temptation when it comes along. It's not when or if, it is when it comes along because it will. And the first, first thing that uh, he deals with is a word of counsel. And in these verses, uh, first 11 verses, he is talking about the fact that you and I need to have a right relationship with God. Now, some of these verses will be familiar with the Bible school children because they talked about the manna and all of that thing, the way God brought the children out of Egypt, and he provided for them every step of the way. And yet, even at that, they turned their backs on him, and they fell away, and they found themselves involved with the culture and the worship they were given over to that. In spite of all that God had done for them, he had cared for them in every way. So he talks about the fact that how all of these people just turned and did everything wrong, and many of them died because they were not in the right relationship with God. They might have been going through the rituals. They may have been going through the ceremonies. There was something about their hearts that had never changed. He had never had their hearts completely. And so he says to them, says to us as well, that you and I need to be sure that our relationship with God is right. We must not uh, take him for granted. We must not go through the motions. We must not do those things that say, yeah, I identify with God and his people, but yet live a life that does not reflect such a relationship. We need to have that right relationship. So in these verses, Paul wants them to, to not forget that they will, so that they will not repeat the errors that their ancestors had. So he takes them back in history a little bit, and he gives them 
four warnings in this passage, 1 through 11. And he says, in essence, what they did, don't do that. Because they were wrong. And so the first thing he talks about is that we are not to be idolaters. Idolatry, it turns out that when God uh, wrote the Ten Commandments, verse 2 said, You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall make no idols. Turns out that God meant that. It's a serious offense before the Lord that they began to develop and uh, those idols. They turned away from God. Any life, any culture that is not based upon the grace and goodness of God, the glory of God, is based upon an idol. That's the reason our world is in such a mess today, because we do not base our things, our life, our culture on the things of God. And so we take idols and raise them up. They may be good things, but we elevate them above God. And that's what idolatry is. We make something, or even ourselves, something greater than God. And he is saying, don't let anything replace God for your heart's affection whether it be sports, whether it be business, whether it be family, position, all those things are not to be raised above God. For he is the one who deserves all the glory and all the grace and all the praise. So he says, don't be idolaters. And then he says, don't indulge in sexual immorality. Our morals are so important in our lives. So many of this that took place among them was done in idol worship. But we are to reserve our purity for a commitment, a lifelong commitment of marriage. And he said, don't get involved in that kind of thing. And they did. And then we must not put Christ to the test. You know, uh, rather than test God, we should trust God for our needs. These folks um, would push the envelope. You know, they were thinking, yeah, because we are the children of God, then whatever we do is really okay with God. He'll just, uh, he won't pay any attention to that just because we are his people. And sometimes in this world today, the church thinks, well, because I go to church, because my name's on a roll, because I do this or that, then it's okay if I yield to because God won't think anything about that. Well, if you read these verses, you, you'll see that God meant, thought a lot about that. I think there were some two million people who left Egypt. And then only two people were able to complete it and enter the promised land of that original group, Caleb and Joshua, because they remained faithful to God. That's not a good percentage. And I, I shudder to think what the percentage in the church is of that, but I hope it's not as much as I think. But we must be true in that relationship with the Lord. And we must um, keep our eyes upon him and not put him to the test. And then the other one is, he said, don't grumble. <laughs> now, that's a pretty funny, isn't it? You know, we are not grumble or whine or complain or murmur and all that kind of thing. That's what they did the whole way through the wilderness. 
grumble because they didn't get what they wanted. You know, somebody said that grumbling begins when we take our eyes off of those things which we have and begin to look for those things that we don't have. And we begin to complain about that. We are not to grumble. Grumbling doesn't look good on a child of God. We ought to be people of praise and thanksgiving. And then in uh, beginning in, ver in verse 12, he gives a word of caution. And he talks about the fact that we need to have a right spirit toward God. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Amplified Bible reads it this way. Therefore, let the one who thinks he stands firm, that is, immune to temptation and being overconfident or self-righteousness, that person needs to take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. You know, uh, Paul is saying, listen, look back and I'm telling you what happened to your ancestors. This is what they did. This is what happened to them. And there's that temptation to kind of raise our head a little bit and say, you know, I'd never do that. I, I'm, I'm above that. I'm, I'm better than that. I'll never find myself in that position. I would never do this. Kind of like Peter told the Lord, you know, I, I'm not going to forsake you. I'll go with you even to death. These others may turn away, but no, not me. Usually when we do things like that, it comes back to bite us. You know, when we, when we say, oh, I'm better than that, or I, we think higher of ourselves than we ought to, that we need to prepare ourselves to be tested on that truth, on that saying. And so he's saying to them, listen, don't think that you can get by with this stuff. Don't think that you are too good not to face this stuff. Don't think you are too strong that you, are, you will not be weak when those times come. The truth is, we will. Think about uh, in our world today, when someone in ministry falls, or anybody in the church that has problems and they fall to temptation, we kind of look at one and say, I don't know how that happened. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't see how they did that. I don't know why they did that. Well, we better be careful if we think too highly of ourselves. We think we're above that. Because Satan loves to bring a plan of attack against us who think we are better than others. And so he's saying here, don't get cocky. You need to be killing pride in your life and living in humility. The writer of Proverbs says that the pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Throughout Scripture, pride is equated with sin. In pride and arrogance, we make God's wisdom small in our eyes. We get to the point where we think, you know, I know more than God. or, You know, I... I'll tell you this, in times of prayer sometime, and I'll make a suggestion to the Lord, he has never yet said to me, well, you know, I didn't ever think of that. I mean, you know, we, we put ourselves in a position to think we can tell God what's best, how to operate. Paul said, don't do that. Live your life in humility before the Lord. C.S. Lewis refers to this sort of thing of exalting ourselves above others as spiritual cancer. And so I, I, he, Paul writes to him here, said, look, 
get a spirit of pride. You need a spirit of humility before the Lord. Or, and God opposes the proud, the scripture says, but he shows favor to the humble. If you think that you come into a temptation with that attitude of pride, rather than the attitude of humility, it makes a difference in how you face that temptation. You will either be a victim or a victor, depending on your attitude and your spirit about that. So Paul is saying here, listen, temptations are going to come. You're going to face them. I mean, it's just part of life. But you need to be prepared for when those times come. And number one, you prepare yourself by having that intimate, personal, right relationship with God. You must know him for who he is. Not what people say he is, but what the scripture says he is. We need to have that right relationship. And secondly, we need to walk in the right spirit before the Lord. A spirit of humility. A spirit of acknowledging that God is God and we are not. And he, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we must walk before him in that spirit of humility. And then the last thing he talks about, he gives to them a word of comfort. And he says, you know, when you find yourself facing temptations, you need to have a right perspective of God. You need to realize who God really is. It's sometimes we'll say, well, you know, I've been praying for that person for so long and they haven't come to Christ and they're just hard as they can be and I just don't think God can change them. Well, then you don't know who God is. If he changed you, he can change them. We need to have that right spirit perspective of God. In verse 13, it says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. And then this little phrase, God is faithful. And he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That phrase, God is faithful, speaks volumes to us. And it should cause us to, to pause and ponder that a little bit. Those words, God is faithful, give us hope. When we face those temptations that we really struggle with, and we know that we cannot handle those things on our own, God is faithful. God is ever-present with us. He is ever faithful to us. In his book, The Ways of God, Richard Blackley says this, For God to be faithful means that he is entirely consistent, he is reliable and predictable. He always operates true to his character. He always keeps his word. He, what he says, he does. And what God promises, he fulfills. God is faithful. We may not be. We aren't, but that never stops him from being faithful, and he cares for us. You know, are there, what if there are times in the middle of your struggles and you're facing these, fighting these temptations and struggling with sin in your life and that kind of thing, do you ever think, well, you know, God has kind of forgotten me, you kind of feel that way, and that's what you're feeling, because the reality is he never forgets you. 
Isaiah 49, 16 says this, and it should help us. God is writing to his people, and he says, I have written your name on my hand. When God writes your name on his hand, you better believe that he will not forget you. He is with you. He loves you, and he is always present with you. In a culture filled with depravity and sin, including pressures, that encourage us to join that sin and rather than becoming like Christ, becoming more like our culture. We need to realize that God is faithful. These are things we can't do ourselves. That's the reason Paul puts it right there. Listen to me. When you face these things, you don't face them alone. God is present with you. He cares for you. And he will not let you face these things by yourself because the truth is that he knows us personally and he cares for us deeply. He knows, he knows how we are made. He knows our pain. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our limits. All those things he knows about you and me. He is the personal God and he cares very deeply for you. And so when Paul is encouraging these people and you and me, as well. He's saying to them, temptations come to all of us. And he says, you are not alone. For even Jesus himself was tempted. Everybody faces temptations. And he also says, others have resisted temptation, and you can too. God is wise as well as faithful, and he knows what we can bear. He knows us personally. And then he is saying you can resist temptation because God is with you and will show you the way of escape. God is powerful, present, personal, and powerful. He never forgets you. He is with you every step of the way, and he will show you the way of escape. The word picture here, the way of escape, has to do with the mountain pass. And the idea of, is of an army traveling through, but they are surrounded by And they can see that they are hopeless until they look up. And suddenly they see a mountain pass that they can escape by, that they can, they can run, get away from their enemies. Sometimes in our lives, we face those times of temptations where we think we are so surrounded by uh, those kinds of things that we really don't have any hope. There's no way we can make it. But we have a God who loves us, a God who is faithful. As the song says, he can make a way where there seems to be no way. He makes the way of escape. That is to say, in every temptation, God has a plan a particular plan, plan for the way that we escape. He provides it for us because he is faithful and he loves us. God is faithful. The way to be a victor in times of temptation is not by working hard to change our deeds, not the kind of to get better, but it is by trusting Jesus to change our desires, that we will desire those things that he desires 
We will want those things that he wants. We will pursue his way and his will in our life. A right relationship with God, a right spirit before God, and a right perspective of God. A winning combination for how to defeat and have victory over temptations. And we know, don't we, that life is a struggle. And we have to battle those temptations. We have to battle sin. But we know that God knows that. And when we fall and when we fail, we don't say, well, it's all over. I have no more hope. That's not the way God operates. God knows that we are going to fail from time to time. It is not to be the pattern of our life, but there are exceptions to times when we do fail. We're to be growing more and more like him. But still, sometimes we, we yield to the temptation. And when we do, John writes in 1 John 1, 9, that if we are faithful to confess our sins, to turn from those sins, that God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our God is a God of hope. He is a God of faithfulness. And he is a God who loves us and is with us every step of the way. One, perhaps this morning, if you're struggling with things in your life now that you need help with, I want to encourage you to turn to him, for he is faithful. He will provide the way. He will show the way. It may be here that uh, you're here this morning and you've never trusted him, placed your faith in him. Today would be a wonderful day for that to happen. So I want to encourage you this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. To love him. To walk before him with integrity and uprightness of heart. And pursue him. We have our hymn of invitation. Would you stand please?